We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. Hebrews chapter 12. Grab your Bibles and let's go there. I'm excited about getting after the text this morning and completing our series called Reset. We've been uh, in this series for a couple of weeks. Today is the final uh, sermon of the series and I'm just going to jump right in. Hebrews chapter 12. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, the words are going to be on the screen if you're not there. This is what the scripture says. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, uh, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. And so, here is what we're going to see this morning is that following Jesus is difficult. That pursuing the mission of God is difficult. Living on purpose of God's purpose in our life is very challenging. And at times we get distracted and we get discouraged and we get sidetracked and we kind of veer off of the place that God has for us. And uh, this morning is going to be about us refocusing on Jesus. Now, I don't know if, if your car has some of these safety features. My wife's SUV has a safety feature uh, that, that I've come to love, and it's, it's called uh, uh, lane, uh, I think it's, it's lane correction uh, safety. So basically what happens is, is that I'm driving her vehicle. Um, if I'm veering to the right or to the left, the sensors on the car will pick up on the stripes, and it'll cause the steering wheel um, uh, to vibrate. It's lane keeping system is the name. And, and so... When I drive, the steering wheel shakes a lot because I'm hitting this all the time. But So they have this so that if you're veering off and you're not paying attention, you'll feel the vibration and look up and see that, man, I'm not in the right lane or I'm heading into the wrong lane. Now, then they had this other feature that I did not know that they had and, uh, on, on her particular vehicle, and it was this. Driver alert warning, rest suggested, and then a big cup of coffee there telling you it's time to pull over. So apparently the you know, vehicle manufacturing companies have gotten together and they realize that we and our culture today are distracted drivers. Like we get distracted. Most of the time we're distracted by that little device in our hand and we're trying to decide how do I send this text um, and drive at the same time. We don't want to use the voice text and so we just text. And so I wasn't texting and driving when I found this. We were actually driving home from uh, Thanksgiving and we were driving the back roads of Arkansas and I was very distracted. We were looking at the scenery. I was talking and um, you guys are going to think I'm a horrible driver because I told you I sped last week and now this popped up. Um, so I'm driving and all of a sudden, I didn't know this feature was on there. All of a sudden, there was this beep, beep, beep. The steering wheel had stopped shaking. And now it's telling me, driver alert warning, rest suggested. So listen, here's what, how you know you need to refocus as a driver. When the car tells you it's time for a cup of coffee, Bubba, it's time to pull over, right? 
And so I'm driving, and, and, and this goes off, and my wife reminds me once again, hey, that's never gone off on me. I didn't even know we had this on this car. And so again, her self-righteousness veiled itself. And now, here's the point. Like driving, we get distracted. Just like at driving at times, we veer to the right or the left, get out of our lane and swerve. Listen, in life sometimes it's like this. Sometimes we drift and we, we get off the course that God has for us because of sometimes the life is bumpy, life is hard, the road is difficult. It t- leads us at times to veering off of what God has for us. And for many of us, here's what we end up doing. Many of us, our life could be summarized in Jesus as simply this. We simply live our life to manage our struggle with sin. And that's it. That for many of us, because of the distractions of life, our Christian experience is just this. I just got to try to not do some of the bad things that I do. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to try to avoid overstepping boundaries and not doing the things that I know Jesus doesn't want me to do. And I'm just going to kind of just limit my life to just sin management. And here's what I want you to hear me say today. God's plan for your life is so much greater than that. That the Christian life is not just about sin management. The Christian life is about you living a life on purpose, pursuing Jesus with all that you have and living for his mission of letting God use you in such a way that your life matters. Your life counts for something more than just the number of years that you live, but rather Jesus in you working in your life, enabling this little slice of time called life that you live to be used for something greater than just managing sin. That God has a a dream for your life and ambitions for your life and desires for your life. And he wants to leverage your life so that eternity is impacted because you lived. And so many of us, because of the distractions and discouragements of life, we just settle by coasting in the lane we're in, not really living in the wide open spaces of God's mission for our life. And we just settle for, I just want to get through. I just want to try to get by. I just want to kind of make it through the day. And we veer off and we get distracted and we miss out on the great things that God has for our life. And church, I want you to know that God has so much more for your life than that. It is so much more for your life than just settling in. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says what he says. He's describing the Christian life as more than just making it through life, trying to avoid sin. He, he wants us to see that it's a life of pursuing Jesus, a life on mission. This is what he says in verse 1. In, in the latter part of verse 1, he says, Let us, talking about believers, let us run with endurance the what? What's he say there? The, say it like you're awake. The what? The race that is set before us. In other words, what he's saying is, is that there is a purpose that God has for your life. There is a race for you to run. And so the race that God has set before us, we need to run. Let us run the race. Let us get after the things that God has for us. You you have been saved. Jesus has redeemed you for this purpose, to know him and to make him known to the world. To leverage your life, leverage your gift, leverage the things that God has entrusted to you and live in such a way so that you would be in a mad pursuit for Jesus and you would advance his mission to the world. Listen, this is why he describes this Christian life as a race. Anybody that's going to run a race wants to run to win the race. Like competitors, when you look, think about a, a runner, like some of you, you say you're runners, but you're not runners because when you run, you're just trying to run as slow as you can to conserve energy, to not hurt, and you really don't care who finishes in front of you. You just want to get through the race. Now, some of you, that's how you run. 
There are other folks, and it's not me, there are other folks, on the other hand, they run, and they're runners. There is a race, and there are people, and they're going to try to get to the finish line faster than everyone else. I was laughing the other day because I started running last week, trying to get back in shape. And so I started running uh, actually a couple of weeks ago. And, and so on day one, I kind of ran, ran about a mile, mile and a half. Then I ran two miles the next day. Then I ran three miles. And I was, I was laughing about this with my staff because I saw Cynthia Listenby. Cynthia is a marathon runner. Like she is serious about running. That's Zeke's wife. And, and so she's serious about running. And so the day that I ran three miles, I said, Cynthia, hey, I, I started running, and today I ran three miles. And she just looked at me, and she's like, oh, that's very awesome, Pastor. And, uh, and, and so I told Zeke later, I said, and with her face in her mouth, she says, that's awesome, Pastor. Inside, she was going, that's called warm-up. That's called stretching for me. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I don't claim to be a runner, but if you run and you consider yourself a runner, you run with purpose. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, there is a race that has been marked out for your life by Jesus, and we are called to run with endurance, to run this race with everything we have. See, listen, Jesus' aim for your life is not just for you to make it through life, but rather for you to make a difference with your life. That he wants to make a difference through you in the world around you. But here is the reality. The reason many of us settle if we're just coasting in this race or drifting off the race, is because this race is hard, it's difficult, it's challenging. There's discouragement, there's failure, there are hardships, there's a cost involved. What's interesting is this, he, he uses the word here, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set uh, before us. The Greek word for race he uses here is the Greek word, word agon, agon. Now, somebody tell me, just take a guess, even if you don't know Greek, I think you can get it. What English word do you think comes from the, English word comes from the Greek word agon. Anybody want to guess? Agony. Agony. And he nailed it because that's what running is to me. It's agony, right? So this word agon, he says, run with endurance. The agon, the agony, the, the difficult, challenging, hard race of life that God has called you to run. He, he's not talking to us as if he doesn't know it's difficult. He's saying, no, this is a very difficult thing that God has called you to. The word agon is a word that was used to describe in the Roman Greco world a particular competition. It's the pentathlon. And uh, the pentathlon was described as the agon, it's as the agony race, the, the endurance race, because it was five different uh, competitions. And the last competition was hand-to-hand -hand combat with your enemy. Like you were going to go duke it out and you're going to fight to the death. And so imagine that. Imagine the Conor McGregor fight that a lot of people spent a lot of money on for 40 seconds of fighting last week. And uh, I'm not going to say if I was one of them or not. But there was, uh, so imagine if that fight would have been the, the fifth of five competitions. If before McGregor got in the, in the ring, what if he would have had, had, had you know, listen, I, I swam two miles, I biked 50, I ran 12 miles, I ran the 200 hurdle, and now I'm here to duke it out with the cowboy. That fight would have looked completely different, right? And this is the picture. He's saying, listen, this race is difficult. It's hard. There, there's going to be trials along the way. This is why he says, let us run the race with endurance, the Christian life, believer, listen, it's not a sprint. It's not an easy short burst and you get to the end and before it really hurts, it's over. No, no, no. It's, it's agony. It's endurance. It's a marathon that we're on. And because it's hard and because it's difficult, there are so many, listen, in this room who have chosen the easier path. For some of you, the, the flame and the passion for Jesus that used to burn bright in your life now is just nothing more than a flickering 
glimmer of what it used to be because the race got hard. Because there were challenges, because there were difficulties, because there were seasons of your life that you didn't know how you were going to make it through. And now your heart has grown cold and you're not as passionate about serving and pursuing and being on mission as you once were. Some of you have exited the race altogether. You're, you're content with sitting on the spiritual bench and observing from a distance. And you're not in the fight and you're wasting the slice of time that God has given you just to manage your sin. And you're not in the fight battling and pursuing Jesus and advancing his mission. And listen, I understand this. Man, I'm not, I'm not talking to you as one that's not affected by this as well. It's agony at times. There, there is a specific race that God's called me to run on as your pastor. And listen, I'm telling you, there are times where it is agonizing. There are times where I want to quit. There are times when I want nothing more than just to give up. And there are seasons of my life where in some ways I did. I'll just tell you this, the season of life that I've been in this last year has been one of the most difficult seasons of ministry I, I, I can remember. Uh, we've gone through a lot of transition, a lot of, 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 of folks in my life that, I, that are dear friends of mine, people that I would go to with spiritual struggles. Man, God has called them to different places to serve in different capacities. And man, so there has been a lot of, of, of discouragement in my life this last uh, few uh, months, this last year, as I've had to learn to navigate life differently. The workload in my life has never been greater than it is right now. And I'm telling you, there are days, there are weeks, there have even been months, these recent months, where it's been agonizing just to keep moving forward. So the reason I'm telling you this is not to say, oh, poor pastor, it's to tell you, if that is where you are, I'm in there with you. It's not easy to run the race, but it is worth it to run the race, amen? And this is what we've got to do. We've got to understand this, this mission that God has given us to run this race is not easy but it is worth it and this is what the writer of hebrews is addressing to these believers you see he's writing this letter to a group of believers who are pursuing jesus and because they pursue jesus they are losing their place in the community many of them are being alienated from their families they're being kicked out of synagogues they are being financially discriminated against these are men and women who are going through hardship after hardship all because they follow jesus and many of them are leaving the race they're quitting the faith they're abandoning the mission and they're just being content to make it and just blend in with the world. And he's writing them this letter. This is what John Piper says about the book of Hebrews. For some of you, as I read this, this is going to describe where your life is right now. Listen to this. He says, the book of Hebrews was written to a church that was getting old and was setting into, settling into the world and losing its wartime mentality and starting to drift through life without focus, without vigilance, and without energy. He says their hands were growing weak. Their knees were feeble. It, it was just easier to meander in the crowd of life than to run the marathon. And that's where some of you are today. And if I could summarize the message of Hebrews and what we're going to see this morning as we kind of peel back some of the verses and see some things in here that are encouragements to us to continue to run. If I could summarize it, I would summarize it like this. There was a 30 for 30 um, that came out a few years ago. ago. 3030 is a little docu-series that ESPN puts on. How many of y'all watch 30 for 30 in here? Okay, yeah, good. Some feedback. 930 service, like two people raised their hand. And I was like, hey, listen, the, the, less you, the more you lay out on me, the longer I preach. So, look, we can be here all day. That's fine. And uh, then all of a sudden, they all started watching 30 for 30 immediately. And uh, it was amazing. But, but it's called Survive in Advance, one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen. It's on the life of Jim Valvano, uh, the head coach from uh, uh, NC State, won uh, national championship back in the late 80s. Anyway, he, he gives a speech 
After being diagnosed with cancer, he started this foundation called the Jimmy V Foundation, a fight against cancer. And, and at this speech at the ESPYs, I believe one of the greatest speeches ever given, he, he makes one phrase that has become now the slogan for the Jimmy V Foundation. He just simply made this declaration, don't give up. Don't ever give up. And this has kind of become the mantra of those who are in the fight against cancer, raising funds to try to find a cure to cancer. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. If I could give you one summary phrase that the writer of Hebrews wants to say to you and me, if you're fatigued and you're tired and you're ready to give up, here's what he would say. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Well, the question is, how do we not give up? What are some things that he gives us here that are encouragements to us to continue running this race? Well, there are three of them. I'm going to encourage you to write them down. If you're taking notes, write down this first one. It's found right there in verse 1. The first thing we need to do if we're not going to give up is this. We need to listen to the witnesses. We need to listen to the witnesses. Now, in verse 1, he makes the statement. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. When he says, therefore, it's a reference to what he said in chapter 11. He's referring back to chapter 11. Well, chapter 11, the writer is giving us a detailed list of what we would know as the hall of faith. He is giving a list of the saints of old. Many of them he's calling by name. Some of them he's not calling by name. But he's basically showing us this is a list of men and women who through trial and tribulation, through difficulty and suffering, they remain faithful to Jesus to the end. They didn't give up. They did never give up. And here's what he says. He says, therefore, since we, we now, those believers living today, we are now surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And here is the imagery that he's giving us when he talks about a cloud of witnesses. He wants us to imagine ourselves being in an arena. And we are the athletes on the field. And up in the stands, filled to the brim, is the saints that have gone before us. Those who lived their life, those who ran the race, those who finished the course, those who kept the faith, and there they are gathered all around us, and there they are. And listen, here's the thing that we're needed to understand about this description that he's giving us. So when we think about this, we'll go, okay, so now we're in this arena, and all of these people up there, and these witnesses are fans watching us perform, but that's not the point the writer wants us to see. He says, listen, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The word witnesses here is not those who are observing you. It's the people that you can look up to and observe them. You see, this crowd that's gathered around us, they are bearing witness. They are giving testimony to the faithfulness of God, to the value of God, to the worthiness of God, to the glory of Jesus who has called us to a mission. So now, the Christian life, we are surrounded by the saints of old. And they are declaring to us, they are giving testimony to us that, listen, we finished the race and so can you. We endured to the end, so can you. We didn't give up. We stayed the course. We, we kept on the mission. The world was not worth the kingdom of God. And so, therefore, we said no to the world and we said yes to the kingdom of God. I want you to listen to how he describes these believers he gives kind of summation of how God worked in their life and used them. He says, who, talking about the crowd. He says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. 
put foreign armies to flight. Women receive back. They're dead by resurrection. Now listen to this. That's a pretty cool lineup, is it not? Like he goes through the first half of this list. He said, listen, I'm going to tell you, these men and women, they saw God do the impossible. And they're testifying to you that when you think all hope is gone, all hope is not gone, that Jesus can step in and he can perform miracles. He can shut the mouths of lions. He can put foreign armies to flight. He can raise kids up that die. He can do anything he wants to do in your life and has more power than you can imagine. And he can work in your life to do the impossible. Now, how many of you want that? We want that. Listen, God can do that. But that's not all that we find in the text. There are others, some are tortured, refusing to accept relief so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. He says there were some, they saw God do the impossible. He, they saw God come in and perform the miraculous. But then there are others, and here's what they did. They just endured to the end. They suffered, and they died, and they did not see God come through like they thought he would. But they remained faithful until the end. And both groups of people are testifying to you and me. Stay the course. God can come through. Sometimes he will come through. But even if he does not, he is more valuable than anything this world has to offer. And they are testifying to you and me that Jesus is worth it and that he will give you the strength you need to run the race to the very end. And so I know at times there's going to be moments, listen to me, believe there'll be moments where God is going to tell you, listen, I want you to step out of your comfort zone. Leave the safety and comfort. Maybe it's calling you out of one vocation into another. Maybe he's going to call you to the mission field. Maybe he's calling you to go across the street and minister to one of your neighbors. But he's going to lead you in places where you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. And you're going to be in that place. And you're like, God, I don't know that I can do this. It's scary to leave these things and to step out in faith. And Abraham in that moment can stand up and he can testify. I've been there. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know what it's like to say goodbye to family and friends and to trust God into the unknown. But I'm here to tell you Jesus is worth it. In those moments where you, you're asking God to come through and you're holding on to his promises, but all you see is the storm and you can't see the promises inside, Sarah stands up to tell you, listen, I know at times that God's promises seem like they'll never take place in your life, but I'm telling you, he who promises is faithful and he will do what he said he will do. In those moments when you're like, listen, the comforts of the world are calling my name and I just want to settle in and experience the satisfaction of the world. What happens is our life begins to begin to be torn of like following Jesus and following the world. What do I do? Moses stands up and says, I know what it's like to walk out of the pleasures of Egypt in order to wander in the wilderness. And I count reproach for Jesus of greater value than anything that I could find in Egypt. Jesus is of greater value than this world. Some of you, there are going to be seasons of your life where you fail and you trip and you fall and you've done that thing and you don't know if God can forgive you. You think, I'm done. I'm disqualified from the race. He can't use me. I'm done for. There's no way he's letting me live life on this purpose. David stands up and says, I've been there. 
I've made the decision. I've got the t-shirt and I can testify to you that God's grace is sufficient and he will forgive you. His mercies are new every morning. Don't quit the race. He's not done with you. And there will be countless nameless saints of old that would say to you and me, when the days get hard and it's discouraging and the cost is great and people have abandoned you in this world and its pleasures you've forsaken and you find yourself at times not knowing if you can continue to go forward. These saints will tell you, this world is not your home. This is not your home. You weren't made for this place. There, there, there is a place that's being prepared for you. It's a place where its foundations and its walls are built by God. This city is not lasting, but there is a city that's to come. So don't get comfortable living here. Live here in light of there and continue to stay the course. This is the testimony that we can listen to of the saints of old. And we're, here we are. We're in the race and we're running and we can look up. And it's not looking up to see if they're looking at us. It ain't about them looking at us. It's about them testifying about the one that we look to. I have a friend, become a really close friend, a mentor for now about 20 years. His name is Ed Crouch. Many of you know Ed. Ed is, uh, grew up at New Beginnings and served on staff here years and years ago. Um, but when I was first started ministry, and it still happens today, Ed will, uh, every now and then, um, just send me a card back when I was in college and just started ministry. He would just write a little note. He would just say, hey, love you. And this is always like, love you, stay the course. Even to this day, I'll get a text from Ed, and it'll just say, stay the course. Stay the course. I rarely ever have a conversation with him where we don't hang up. He doesn't say, hey, Todd, I want you to hear me say something. I love you. Stay the course. Listen, these witnesses that we can look to, you know what they're saying to you and me? Stay the course. Don't quit. Stay the course. Listen, that's number one. We listen to the witnesses. Here's number two. We need to lay aside the hindrances. Lay aside the hindrances. Look what he says again in verse one. He says, um, he says let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings closely to us. So he's reminding us this is a race, and any runner who's going to run well in a race needs to be prepared to take anything off that's going to hinder them from running well. So if you go to a tracking, track and field event, you're going to find the, the athletes, the sprinters are going to show up. What are they going to do? They're going to show up with their gear on. They're going to have um, their, their, you know, sweatpants and sweaters, and they're going to kind of go through their pre-track uh, event uh, routine, getting loose and stretched, and may even have a different pair of running shoes on. But right before the race, what are they going to do? They're going to shed their outer garment. They're going to put their running shoes on. They're going to make sure that there's nothing on them that would hinder them from running the race at maximum capacity. They're going to lay aside anything that would hinder them from running well. You see this with swimmers. They show up, and man, you can swim in jogging pants, but it ain't going to help you win the race, right? If you're in a swim meet, what do you want to do? You want to make sure that there's nothing on you that's going to add resistance to you swimming at full potential. And this is what the writer is explaining to us, listen, we as believers, if we're going to continue the course, if we're going to run after Jesus with passion, if we're going to pursue his mission with everything we have, we need to recognize that there are things in our life that will hinder us, and we need to take those things off. Now, he gives two categories of 
things here. First is weights. He says, let us lay aside every weight. Uh, the word weight there literally could be translated mass or bulk. So it's anything that is on us that is going to hinder us from running. Now, I want you to hear me say this. Listen, when he says weight, oftentimes we immediately think, what are the sinful behaviors of my life that I need to change? But there are two categories. The first is weight. The second is sin. He's going to get to sin. What he's talking about here when he says weight, he's not talking about things that are necessarily sinful. He's talking about things that are unhelpful. There are hindrances in our life that keep us from running well after Jesus and pursuing his mission with everything we have. And those things that hinder us are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but they obstruct us from running to our maximum capacity for the kingdom. You see, here's what I find far too often in the Christian life. Uh, th- th- we, we ask these questions when it comes to various cultural situations. I get to ask, ask this all the time as a pastor. They'll, they'll say, hey, I've got a question for you. Um, and then they'll say, hey, this situation, or if I go here, do this, drink this, eat this, whatever, hang with these friends, date this person, they'll ask the question, well, is that sinful? Is that sinful? And this is the predominant questions Christ- Christians ask when it comes to moral dilemmas or circumstances. Is this sinful? And here's the thing. Let me just love you enough to tell you. You're asking the wrong question. The question is not, is it sinful? The question is, is it helpful? The question you need to be asking is, is this sinful? The question is, is this going to help me love Jesus more? Is this going to foster a deeper commitment to him? Is this going to help me pursue his mission with more passion? Is this going to distract me? Or is this going to help me run the race that Jesus has marked out for me? So you need to be asking yourself the question, not, is it sinful? You need to ask yourself the question, is it helpful? Is this going to stir my affections for Jesus, or is this going to compete for my affections for Jesus? Is this going to enable me to run faster and and with more passion towards the mission of God, or is this going to keep me from running at the full potential that God has given me? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. So when it comes to various situations in our life, when it comes to our hobbies, when it comes to our time and our money and our relational bandwidth and our gifting and and, uh, the career path that we're choosing, when we think about all of those things, we need to ask ourselves the question, not are these things sinful, but are these things going to propel me toward Jesus? And if they're not, we need to get rid of them. So it's like this. I go back to swimming. It's not against the rules for a swimmer to, to swim with a full beard, right? I mean, so you know that, right? So you, you can swim with a full beard. You, you, you can swim and compete in a race in some with blue jeans on. Like, it's not like a violation of the rules. So if you go show up and you've got a full-grown beard and you've got, you know, your cut-off uh, Daisy Duke shorts on and you're ready to jump in and swim and, and you've got your sweatshirt and you're like, I'm ready to go, you're not going to get disqualified for that. But everybody's going to look at you like you're crazy. Why? Because... While it might not disqualify you, it will certainly hinder you. So what are you seeing athletes do now with the swim? Like they're, they're going bald, slick head, no facial hair, no, no eyebrow, like shaving their eyebrows. Like that's extreme. And like, you know, this race lasts for like 30 seconds and then we got to deal with that, right? <laughs> so then they, they shave their arms, they shave their legs, they shave every everything right and why do they do this they do not want anything to cause friction for them as they swim therefore 
They don't ask the question, is this going to disqualify me? They ask the question, is this going to get in the way of my ultimate goal, which is to run to maximum or swim to maximum capacity? And listen to me, believer, we, this is the way we need to think. Here's the second. So we, we need to lay aside hindrances, weights, and the second is sins. Sin. Now, now listen, I want you to see this. In uh, verse number uh, one again, he says this. He says, let's lay aside every weight and sin. Now, in your Bible, I want you to underline and highlight and circle sin here. In the original language, it has a definite article. So it would read like this. Uh, lay aside every weight and the sin that which clings so close there easily entangles us, some translations have. Hey, so he, why is this important for us? He's not just talking about sin generally. He's talking about some specific battles of sin. Now, here has kind of become my c- conviction. This is what I've seen in my own life and I've witnessed in the life of others. When it comes to sin, all of us probably could identify four to five common sins that trip us up on a regular basis. So when you think about the, the sin, the specific sins that entangle you or trip you up, you probably could identify a short list of, man, like there's a lot of sin there's out there in the world. I don't really struggle with those things, but there are three, four, or five, man, and they whip me every day. Every single day I battle these two to three to five sins. Anybody relate to that? So like this week, I, I, I went through my week and not one time was I tempted to try heroin. Like I didn't have that. I didn't have that temptation. I saw a really nice car last week. I did not want to carjack at all. I didn't even think about it. I wasn't there. When that moment, I didn't even think, you know what? I bet I can take him. I bet I can take him and take his car and no one's ever going to know. That was not even, a, not even a temptation for me. Right? But I could tell you there are three or four things that showed up in my life this week. They were here the week before and the week before, and they're going to be waiting on me next week and probably this afternoon by the time I leave campus. There's going to be some of them that creep up into my life wanting to grab a hold of me. And it's not a long list. It's a short list, but they're every single day trying to cling and grab and pull and tug and tempt. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you need to identify You want to run well? You want to run and pursue Jesus with everything? You want to have an unhindered pursuit of the mission of God? You need to identify the sin that entangles you, that trips you up. Identify it and begin to do battle with it. Here's what John Owen, great spiritual thinker of old, said. He says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So you, you, you need to address this and you need to put to death these sins. Take off those hindrances or it's going to kill you in the race you're trying to run. You're going to be derailed from. Listen, this is huge for us to understand this morning that we need to lay aside hindrances. So here is my encouragement for you today. Here's kind of a homework assignment that I want you to do on your own. Maybe tonight or tomorrow, whenever you get alone and spend time with Jesus. I want you to take some time. I want you to get your journal or a piece of paper, and I want you to draw a line down the middle and make two columns. On the left-hand side, I want you to write the word weights. On the, uh, on, on the left-hand side, and then on the right-hand side, I want you to write uh, the word sins. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, pray like David did in the Psalms when he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. And I want you to do is is pray that prayer. Ask Jesus to begin to help you identify the weights. These are things in your life that are not necessarily sinful, but they are certainly not helpful. Identify those weights. Identify the sin or the sins by name. 
and begin to submit those things to Jesus, recognizing if you want to look at the hindrances that are keeping you from running after Jesus to your full potential, you've got a list. And now you can submit those things to the finished work of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit give you victory over those areas of your life. If you're with me, say amen. That this would be a very helpful thing for you to do to help you walk, uh, live a life and pursue a life and walk a walk that is laying aside the hindrances. Here's number three. So we listen to the witnesses, we lay aside the hindrances, and finally we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Now listen, this is what matters most. In fact, when we look to Jesus, we are able to listen to the witnesses more clearly, and we are able to know what the hindrances are and see them and lay them aside. It's looking to Jesus. Look what he says here. I love this. In verse number two, he says this, looking to Jesus. And I love, he just starts this, looking to Jesus. The word looking here is present active. It means ongoing, every day, every moment. The Christian life is a posture of looking to Jesus. But this word means more than just an everyday glance. Here's the the word that he's using here. It's a word that literally could be translated, stop looking at everything else, and put your eyes on the one thing. It is to fix your gaze on one singular thing. Stop looking at everything else and focus your gaze on one thing. Well, what is the one thing? Looking to Jesus. This is what the writer wants us to see. If we want to run this race with endurance and not give up and not quit, here's what he's saying. He says, listen, you need to gaze intently on Jesus and stop looking at everything else. Get your eyes off of your difficulties, how hard it is, your failure, your feelings, your emotion, the people who rejected you, what people think of you. Get your eyes off of you and get your eyes on Jesus. This is the point that he's making. This is the key to the success of the Christian life. This is how you walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It is to stop looking at everything else, especially you, and get your eyes on Jesus. You see this in the life of Peter. Peter gets out of the boat, right? Jesus is walking along the water. Great moment of faith. The winds and the storms are there, and all of a sudden Jesus is there, and Jesus is like, hey, it's me. That's a moment, right? Peter's like, well, if it's you, then I'm coming. Jesus just says, come on. What does he do? He gets out, and he's walking by faith, fixed on Jesus. But the moment he saw the wind and the waves and the storm, what happened? It began to sink immediately. You see, Peter did not have the ability, the capability to walk on the wind or walk on the waves and walk against the wind. You know what he had the ability to do? To look to Jesus. You see, for you and me, here's what far too often we do. We fix our eyes on everything but Jesus. And we wonder why there's such discouragement and why we're ready to give up and quit the fight because our attention is on the circumstances and on our situations and on the difficulty and how hard it is when it needs to be on the Savior. And and this is why we look to Jesus. Look what he says here. He says, and and look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder. What does that mean? The founder and perfecter of our faith. It means that Jesus is the beginning and Jesus is the end. That he's the one who started the work in us. He's the one that's going to complete the work in us. And everything between the beginning and the end, he's working in us. So we get our eyes off of our circumstances, off of our situations, off of our dilemma. And we put it on the one who is both the foundation of our life and the one who's going to completely build our life. And we get our eyes on him. 
Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So listen, he is building you, he is growing you, he is maturing you, and rather than looking at all the things that want to tear you down, get your eyes on the one who's there to build you up. He's the author, he's the perfecter of your faith. And here's, here's why this is so important. Listen, don't miss this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, listen, he's the author and perfecter of your faith. And listen, by the way, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and he finished the work and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What is he saying here? Jesus finished his race and he is the founder and the completer of our faith and we get our eyes on the one who ran the race for us finished the race for us and we look to him and say okay what was it in him that compelled him that enabled him to run with endurance the race that was set before him it says it's the joy that was set before him the question is what is the joy what was the joy don't don't miss this what was the joy that enabled jesus to run the race To endure the cross, to undergo the shame, ultimately to complete and sit down at the right hand of the Father. You know what it was? Jesus' race was going to redeem humanity. And for all eternity, his Father would receive glory because humanity has been redeemed. So what held Jesus on the cross? You say it was the nails. You kidding me? Jesus told Pilate with the snap of my finger, with the word of my mouth, I can have thousands upon thousands of angels right here just wipe all of you out. Jesus walked on the water. He calmed the storm. He raised the dead. You really think three nails is going to keep the creator of the world on a cross? What kept Jesus on the cross? The joy that was set before him. Jesus endured the suffering, the pain, the despair, the, the, the weight of the sin of the world, the separation from his father. He endured all of that. Why? Because on the backside of all of the pain, there was going to be joy. What was the joy? Your redemption, my redemption for the glory of the father. And because of that, Jesus says, I'm not quitting. I'm staying the course. I'm running the race. I'm going to finish everything the father has given me. And it's hard and it's painful. And man, this is the difficult thing, but I'm hanging in here and I'm doing it and I'm finishing because on the backside of this, there is joy that is coming. And here is the reason you and I need to look to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that's set before us, we need to endure. We need to run. That you know that there is more to this existence and this life right now. So pain and suffering and despair and discouragement and hardship. Listen, the scripture says that there is being prepared for you, those who have faith in Christ, such glory and such majesty and so many amazing things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or even entered in the thought of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And so right now, there's brief pain, but joy is on its way. There is something before you that's greater than what's in front of you right now. And one day, the founder and perfecter, the beginner and the ender, the finisher, is going to complete the work. And the race is going to be over. And there is going to be for you a crown of righteousness. 
that Jesus himself will give you when the race is over. And you will have the privilege of taking those crowns and laying them at the feet of Christ where he will be forever glorified. That is the fullness of joy. Suffering today, pain today. Now, there is satisfaction in the midst of all of that, amen? But joy is coming in a way that's far greater than the pain. Paul says, for these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us with a glory that nothing in this world can compare to. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before you, don't quit. And so the final thing I want you to see as we kind of turn our head to pondering this is this. When, when we look to Jesus as the one who's doing this work in me and I see the joy, what drove him to the cross and what held him on the cross was the joy of redemption. So therefore, he saw the finished work of what God was going to produce. We too can have that joy. But when we're in that posture, I want you to see verse 3. Don't miss verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What is he saying here? He says, on those days when you want to give up, on those days when you want to throw in the towel, on those days when the scars are real and the pain is severe and the suffering is right in front of you and you don't see an end in sight, when all there is is a storm and there is no rainbow for you on the other side of this, on those days, what do you do? You fix your eyes on Jesus and you consider the one who went through the storm, who fought for you, who died in your place, who endured opposition, who suffered so that you might be redeemed. And when you consider the one who didn't give up on you, listen, you'll be motivated to not give up on him. You will see what Christ endured for your redemption. And you can say, listen, how can I gaze at the cross of Christ and see what Christ has done for me and quit right now? And so you see him and you just keep running and you keep chasing and it gets hard, and you fix your gaze, and you look, and you go, listen, Jesus endured too much for me to quit. He, he redeemed me, and I am his. He is mine, and forever we're going to be together. Therefore, I'm going to run, and I'm not going to quit because I'm going to consider what he went through to redeem me, and therefore, in that, I'm going to find the strength and the courage in him and what he did so that I don't walk out on the mission that he's called me to. Today, my admonishment for you is simple. Get your eyes off of whatever it is that's keeping you from running with passion after Jesus and get your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at the difficulties. Get your eyes on the deliverer. Don't give your attention to your suffering. Give your attention to your Savior. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will go strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Father, I'm asking now in the name of Jesus that you would just move in a special way this morning. God, that those of us who are weary today, who are tired today, who want at times just to give up and sit down, help us, God, to look to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, we were able to listen to the witnesses who have pursued him faithfully. We're able to lay aside our hindrances, but God, help us look to Jesus. 
For those of you this morning who've been pondering the question of whether or not you need to give your life to Jesus, we've been asking you to wrestle with this the last few weeks. If you are uncertain that you know Christ, or maybe now you know that you don't know him, I'm asking you in a few moments as we worship and just think about these things, that you would leave your seat, you would come and grab the hand of one of our decision encouragers and let them pray with you and you could give your life to Jesus today. And a gentleman last week came forward and gave his life to Jesus. Lady in the earlier service just left her saying, I just need Jesus. I need to give my life to Christ. And if that's you, then I'm asking you to leave your seat in a moment. Come take the hand of one of our decision encouragers and trust Jesus today. Those of you in this room who know Jesus, my question for you is how are you running? Today may be a day of refocusing for you. What, what do you need to do? Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Help him identify the hindrances in your life. Get in the word and look at the testimony of believers before you. And don't quit. So as we ponder this, maybe you need to come for prayer. Come to this altar or kneel at your seat or whatever it looks like for you to refocus your life back on the mission of God, pursuing Jesus, advancing his mission. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.